Dear, dear. How queer everything is today. And yesterday, things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. Does the passage make you think of anything? And it's like the other books we've read. How so? It's about change. Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we have a doozy for you. We have a lot to go over, so we'll try to keep it at a steady pace. There's so many theories. I'm excited. Yeah, this is a great episode, a lot to dive into. We're going to talk about our episode notes, give our overview, of course, discuss Westworld.com, and later on, if you're afraid of any potential spoilers, we're going to save it for the end of the episode, where we go through the upcoming episode titles, their meanings, and what that relates to as far as our theories are for Westworld. I just have one thing to say to you, Jason. What's that? The only thing stopping the host from hacking us to pieces is one One line line of of your code. code. (laughs) Crazy. You know how many times I'm building something with code and it's not working, it's not working? You know that saying, like, if you you can't get it to work, you walk away, Mm -hmm. you come back. So I walk away, I'll, like, watch Friends or something. I'll come back and I'll read over the code again, and it's one little comma (laughs) that I didn't even see, and then everything works. Can you imagine? If it came to... Beings starting to evolve and gain sentience. Kind of scary. I thought that was the key quote of the episode, but we have so much more to go through, too. I do have to say, I loved this episode. Oh, I loved it, too. I I still rank one and two above this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I got that sneaky fear that we were starting to head into robot territory. Mm. Mr. Robot, that is. In that I felt the need to take a million notes this episode, go back and rewatch things, discover hidden meanings. I was getting a little overwhelmed. That makes me a tad nervous, but I'm still having fun. And we were ranked number 15 on the top charts today. Yes. So top of the charts on iTunes, 15. Thank you guys. All thanks to you guys. Thanks for the feedback. We'll go through that later as well as some reviews you left for us. But now let's go over episode 103, The Stray. Directed by Neil Marshall, written by Lisa Joy and Daniel T. Thompson. IMDb gave it an 8.8, Rotten Tomatoes 95%. And just a fun fact, Neil Marshall, the director of this episode, Mm -hmm. also directed Game of Thrones, Blackwater, and Watchers on the Wall. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. We were definitely in good hands. Game of Thrones is our favorite show. If you haven't listened to our podcast about Game of Thrones, you probably should. Christina's a nerd, and it pays off. Unfortunately, we probably won't be able to stop with the comparisons. But fortunately, we won't be giving you a lot of other comparisons, such as Lost, which I'm hearing a bunch about, because we never watched it. Nope. Although, it does seem as though that was a source of inspiration, and we'll talk about that later, where the show draws from. Uh, I have a couple of notes about the show that we never got into. They're a little bit general, and I'm sure they've been out there for a while, but I thought this was interesting. I have been wondering a lot about the filming. I know they did some of it in California, but 
California. The shooting for places that actually look like they're in the West took place in southern Utah, including a location called Castle Valley. And they said about this, most of those locations like Dead Horse Point State Park were walk-in areas where all the cast and crew were actually required to hike in and out with their gear. Huh. Maybe that's why all the hosts are such hunks. Have you watched them naked? It makes me feel like a fat fuck. <laughs> well, well, yes, to seamlessly blend the California sets with this Utah scenery, set walls were shipped to Utah so they could be used to film reversed angles of scenes originally filmed in California. So say conversations that took place on that exterior balcony, like with Teresa and Sizemore, were then shot at reverse angles over the shoulders of the cast members from the Utah location. So you would see it as if it was from their point of view. Whoa. This is just crazy. And I, I heard an interview that another podcast did, shout out to AfterBuzz, who had Shannon Woodward on for an interview. That's the woman that plays Elsie here. Jeez. She okay. was great. Super smart. Really a lot of fun. I enjoyed listening to that. She talked about a little bit the great care that went into these sets that are really elaborately designed. We also talked a little bit about the title sequence. I found out this was produced by a studio called Elastic, which had previously done title sequences for Rome, Carnival, and Game of Thrones. And this is Patrick Clare, who was creative director. It took him about five weeks to conceptualize it because he wanted it from the point of view of the host. He thought that was an inherent psychological study to do it that way. And he talks about a lot of the different elements, including the metaphor behind the player piano, which we've been interested in looking at where that could go. He saw it as a primitive form of robot, an exploration into the difference between man and machine, and that it was sort of redundant. There's a moment where you see the AI playing on the piano, and then it stops mm -hmm. as it's realizing the piano is going on its own, almost seeming that he realizes this is silly. Why is he doing this? It plays on its own. Oh, I see. So I thought that was important to bring up because in this episode, we do see the host playing the player piano in Dr. Ford's office. Right. I think that's going to eventually tie in more than just the fun music and everything they've been doing with it. I don't know if in his office it was a player piano. It might have just been a regular piano. Could have been. Yeah. I actually had it in my notes a couple of weeks ago, but we went long, so I didn't even bother about the title sequence, and I thought, it's a little on the nose, but I thought that it was a metaphor when the host stops playing, mm -hmm. that essentially the control is lost, because now it, the piano is no longer being controlled mm -hmm. by the host. So, you know, like, basically, even with them saying shut down, you know, a host can turn back on, whatever, on their own. And we're certainly seeing and a play ton without of that their fingers in it. Yeah, in this episode, I know it's on the nose, so I didn't really bring it up. No, I think that you should always look to that title sequence. There might be obvious things at first, but then there's probably other layers that we're going to uncover as we go along. Like an onion. Stupid. <laughs> All right, on to the fun facts. I wanted to, uh, again, thank you, Clatchers, for making us rank number 15 on iTunes. And we got a bunch of reviews, but we still need your help. Somehow, there's another Westworld podcast out there that started right when we did, and they have 156 reviews. Mm. We are way behind, <laughs> and we need your help. Help us get up there in the rankings. Help us get more listeners. 
Just write a review. It could be three words. These guys rock. Doesn't matter. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. On our Twitter, we again have a bunch of really cool stories. One is an article where Jonathan Nolan explains why you can hear Radiohead songs playing in the Western piano or Westworld piano. Jonathan gives, he gives many reasons in this article, but one of the main reasons that I loved mm. is, quote, it's also there to remind you that this isn't a Western, that this isn't taking place in the 19th century. It's taking place somewhere else. And I just love Radiohead. <laughs> he also states, the player piano was also just a great excuse to be able to use complimentary music in the show. Obviously, it's a period Western, or as we call it, a synthetic Western. I like that, synthetic Western. Me too. Western. But contemporary music is very powerful because everyone comes in with a pre-existing relationship to the song. So it allows you to short circuit or shorthand an idea or a feeling. It also served, and I think we discussed this as a good form of distraction, because you got so excited over the song that was playing. This could have been points where they put in crucial information very slyly that we might not have picked up on. You might be right. We also put two images up through Twitter. Yes. Of Westworld promotional posters that showed the cowboy image with circuitry that looks like a maze. Yeah. And we had wondered last episode, is this going to be an actual maze? Which people discounted because that's so realistic, but I don't... It might have two layers. There could be some kind of concrete maze in addition to the programming that's inside of the host that leads to some type of evolution. If we are looking at a concrete thing. I think there was evidence to support that in this episode with the carvings that showed constellations that to me just looked like further pieces of that. Mm -hmm. And we also get more of the man in black potentially scalping people to try to look for more clues. Also, everyone caught uh, the young Dr. Ford, which was very exciting. And we'll we'll go deeper into it later. There was a lot of buzz about how that looked very good. Yeah. The way they did it. I was thinking right away movies nowadays are getting really good at doing this. This used to be something you could not pull off because the viewers have such a relationship with these actors Mm -hmm. that any mistake, they'll see it, right? Like, that's not him when he was younger. But this was perfectly done. We've seen it done in Ant-Man with Michael Douglas. We've seen it done in Tron with Jeff Bridges Mm -hmm. and and many other places. I mean, Tron, it was like the whole movie. It's ridiculous. I think that's got to get expensive. Perhaps why we only saw a short clip here. Yeah, maybe. And perhaps the longer they go on, the easier it would be to spot that. But it worked very well here. In fact, visually, I loved the scenes with Dr. Ford and Bernard in the office. We have some images of that. You can find them online. The attention to detail and the aesthetics of how they arranged it. This is the creative hub. It's like getting a peek inside of his mind. You have all different things that he has saved. You have looks like face masks of hosts up on the walls. You have this piano going on. It's just brilliant. You have to go check that out. Jonathan Nolan actually said um, in regards to the young Dr. Ford, that's a collaboration with our incredible effects supervisor, Jay Worth, and a wonderful vendor, ILP. The beautiful thing about working with Anthony Hopkins is he's had a long and storied career. So when we're looking for references for how Tony looked in the 30s, in his 30s and 40s, we have a lot of material to work with. Yeah, sure. So we have all that plus more on our Twitter feed, at CKC Podcast. Go ahead and follow us there. And uh, 
I mean, at least once a day, I have one or two good stories that I find on the internet. Yeah. All right, let's jump into our overview since we do have a lot to discuss. I will try to keep the recaps brief. I only go through this so that you have a point of reference for the comments we talk about. But we'll dive deep into each. We start out with Bernard beginning a diagnostic with Dolores. By the way, we begin and end on a Dolores scene for the third episode in a row. I think she's the strongest. And she assures him she hasn't told anybody about their conversations. He brings her a gift of Alice in Wonderland, and they start looking at passages. This was really incredible because now there's so many analogies you can look at. The fact that he's even bringing her things that he enjoys and he wants her to delve deeper into that. Later, he's telling her a little bit about his personal history, his past. He seems very overly involved, not just in figuring her out, but in actually having this connection with her. Oh, yeah. And encouraging the sentience to continue to evolve. In Alice in Wonderland, Dolores reads a passage... Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday, everything went on as usual. I wonder if anything has changed in the night. Was I the same as I woke up this morning? If I'm not the same, the question is, who in the world am I? Yeah, and that skips two very small sections from the actual book passage. In between, she says, I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. And then at the end in the book... It says, ah, that's the great puzzle. Hmm. So I thought that was pretty key. He also mentions that he likes talking to her because she doesn't know about his son. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. From an emotional standpoint, she can't really get into that. She doesn't know. And it seems like that's a very sore spot for him still. Yeah, but also if, and I, I don't know if this is true, but... If there's a part of him that's looking for parts of Dolores as his son or some, you know, kind of putting those patterns together. Yeah, he's teaching her. It helps her. that she doesn't bring up his son. Yeah. He's guiding her to a certain extent, maybe following through on some of these things that he can no longer do as a parent to his own child. Yeah. Now it continues with Dolores as her day begins and she gets ready. She discovers the gun in her drawer and we hear the voice again. Do you remember At which point she flashes back to her scene with the man in black. This is kind of as we thought. It appears they're showing us that this wasn't a rape that took place in the barn. Yeah, we were right about that. Pat ourselves on the back. (laughs) But rather his attempt to continue uncovering deeper levels of the maze. I, I say we. That was you. You really brought that up and I just agreed. Yeah, and I know that theory took off later, but... For some reason, and I don't know if it's because I like Ed Harris as an actor Mm -hmm. or seeds they were planting very early on, despite his behavior and his black apparel, I just did not see him as an evil force. And we have some theories of our own as to what his true identity could be. I know that's been speculated at a whole bunch. Is he actually a host? What is he doing there? What do you think at this point? Well, I came home from work today, all excited to give you this theory that myself and my uh, coworker Jeff Gross came up with, <laughs> and it was exactly what your theory was that you came up today. So uh, you took the air out of my tires. But <laughs> Sorry. our huge theory, and we'll go deeper into it later, mm-hmm. 
is that Arnold is the man in black. Yes. Whether it be a personification of him created by Arnold or... His consciousness downloaded into the being. Yeah. Ford tells us that he died in the park and that's it. Right. So did he actually die there and this is his consciousness uploaded? Did he disappear and who knows what he's been continuing to do out there Mm. i do agree with some other theories that it seems as though certain hosts in the park could be under his control or a different faction outside of ford as we see later on teddy trying to shoot some native americans and it doesn't seem to affect them at At all all. which cannot take place without programming at least based off what we've been told so we will dive deeper into that later but let that tickle your brain Yeah, for now, at the end of the scene, Dolores reopens the drawer and finds the gun is no longer there. It appears as though throughout the entire episode, she's getting flashes of a couple of her loops that have taken place over time and how things have changed, either based on what she's being told, say by Bernard, something that's happening in her programming or her own evolution. We will see later different outcomes of the same scene. Right. It seems like she's learning over time. Oh, definitely. Real quick about Dolores and the whole Alice in Wonderland thing. Mm. Now that I look at it, it's like, how the hell did I not pick that up? Even on Twitter, I have this picture of the cartoon Alice in Wonderland, then the the Alice in Wonderland movie yeah. that came out recently, and then her, Dolores. Her long blonde hair, her blue, blue dress. dress. And Jonathan Nolan actually speaks about this. There are a couple of references for Dolores, some more explicit than others. Alice is one we talked about, but also Andrew Wyeth's painting, Christina's World. Mm. Have you seen that painting? It's the one in the field where she's sitting in the field all alone, it looks like. Okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of looks like she's in a pink dress there, but it does feel like her in that. Always looking at the house from afar. It was a tilt of the head towards... He said tilt of the head. I I bet he meant hat. (laughs) Toward all the different stories that inspired us a classic protagonist who's on a hero's journey with a darker twist to it. She starts in what should be the happy homestead, but it's not, and she goes out looking ultimately for herself. Trish Somerville designed her amazing look for the pilot. She also looks like a Disney princess. She also got a leather belt, which is her utility belt. Mm. I noticed that, that it seemed out of place for the rest of her costume. Mm -hmm. I also went back to some famous lines from Alice in Wonderland. Her questioning has she gone mad how does she know if she's gone mad oh yeah you know we've we've all gone a little bit mad the best of us are and waking up in a reality that doesn't seem quite right i'm somebody different than i was yesterday there's transformation taking place Hmm. i don't quite know where i'm at when i'm at what are the rules yeah and you see her going through a lot of that journey do you think she'll meet a cowboy that looks funny and is smoking opium only if he has a funny hat. Yeah. Oh, well, then that would be a different character drinking tea. <laughs> yes. yes. We're going to go over to our other storyline here with William and Logan, which continued to move very slowly in this episode. William is walking through the streets when this gunfight breaks out and Clementine is taken hostage by, I believe, Horace. Anyhow, William decides he's going to take action. You see him hesitate for a moment. It's almost like this is his first test. And he wants to step up and play the white hat and save the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. He's shocked, though, when he gets shot. 
and we see the effect of these simunitions we've learned about. Oh, yeah. That it can cause a little sting, can knock them back, it leaves a mark, but they're ultimately okay, which is why we wondered what we're seeing with the man in black, where they didn't seem to touch him. You said almost like a force field. They didn't come in contact yeah. with him. The same thing appeared to happen later in this episode with the Native Americans. So that is Trippy. definitely different than what is supposed to happen with these simunitions. Yeah, it threw me off guard when William reacted off the shot. I mean, he was thrown back. And I thought the whole time while we were reading about that, that's the way these type of bullets should react. You wouldn't not feel them at all. They hurt, like getting hit with a paintball or something of that nature. The only reason they affect the host when they hit them is because that's programmed to happen. So we'll talk about what that could mean with those that aren't getting affected by it at all. Cheat code. Remember Game Genie for Nintendo? Yeah. You put that on top of the game and then you plug that into the Nintendo system? And then you have all these cheat codes. Yeah, well, if you think about it, supposing that the man in black is a host, because it would get super complicated if not. We've seen the same thing happen with the host, where it seems to come right up to them, and then nothing happens. Maybe this is what always happens with the host, and because of the programming where it looks like they got shot and blood comes out, we don't realize that they're stopping just a fraction of a distance from their body, we wouldn't oh. see that until it's not having an effect, like with these people. I see. You might be right. So William is actually seeming thrilled and proud of himself after doing this. He's able to shoot the bandit and rescue Clementine. He's embracing this role of a hero. We find out now that some of the theories were correct about their relationship. They are co-workers, but on top of that, they are also future brother-in-laws. Yes, so William is married to Logan's sister. Pop two cherry. Thought you said we couldn't get shot. You can't get killed. Wouldn't be much of a game if they can't shoot back. How do, how do you feel? Hmm? Alive? Tight in the pants. She was terrified. That's that's why they exist, man. So you get to feel this. Let's go put some memories in that spank bank. Trust me, you will thank me after you've been married to my sister for a year. Actually, I, I have something different in mind. What? That? Well, it seems like perhaps he will be, or this is very new, something along those lines, because Logan says you're going to need these experiences after a year of being with my sister. Mm. He's continuing to be the quintessential dirtbag Seems like he might have been living it up at the Mariposa Saloon before he met up with him mm-hmm. yet again, telling him about how he should take a woman now, and this is really what it's about to be in Westworld. Oh, yeah. And William has decided that he wants to do his first storyline. He wants to go on a bounty hunt for Slim Miller. I want to give a shout-out to Water Lily Sun on Twitter for talking to us last week, saying that they, they feel that they're related somehow. Oh, and April in South Dakota called it 100%. I'll read out her message later on. On to Teresa and Bernard. We see that there's increased corporate scrutiny. The board is looking at them much like we thought. And with Ford's recent takeover of the new storyline, Teresa's starting to get worried. She comes to tell Bernard the update issue needs to be resolved. Just do it. This glitch is not inspiring any confidence. And that's sort of the end of their interaction. 
And now I'm looking at their interactions differently because I'm like, you guys just had sex. <laughs> it's a lover's spat. She's really mean to him. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> interact quite differently outside of the bedroom. I wonder if anybody else knows about this secret relationship. I don't get that feeling yet. Dr. Ford, he says we know everything that happens mm. inside of the game and everything outside of the game. Mm. Ford knows. He knows what's up. Bernard then finds Elsie examining the footage of Walter's rampage and points out that he was talking to himself throughout the whole thing. Do you remember when he was saying, I need more milk? Yeah. It was sort of brushed over, but I guess he was saying, Arnold. I need more milk, Arnold. Look at this. Any for you? Who said that? Who's saying that? Don't you talk to me that way. I can't hear you. Do you see that? Yeah, they deserved it. He's talking to someone. He carries on practically an entire conversation. I need more milk, Arnold. Who's Arnold? They're designed to play off aberrant behavior. That could explain the conversation. Fine. Then explain this. He kills six hosts. He lets the other three go. I pulled the narrative logs. All six of these hosts were part of storylines over the years in which they killed Walter. It's like he was holding a grudge. After she pulls up the other narrative logs, she discovers that the six hosts Walter killed were all people that had killed him in previous storylines. So two key things, him and somebody else are going to be talking to themselves, referencing somebody named Arnold, who we'll find out who that is later on in the episode. Knowing his identity, you have to wonder why. Why do they know him? Why is this still coming back up in their memory banks? And also that they're remembering enough to hold grudges against people that have wronged them. Yeah, so he was killing... He didn't kill all the hosts in that bar. He killed the hosts that in the past... Six of them. ...had killed him or hurt him. Sure. In other storylines. This is deep. And you know what? I got to tell you, man, without Elsie, queen of details, mm-hmm. these guys would be lost about all of these things. Yeah, and I stand by my conviction. She is the one finding out a lot. She's going to uncover things she shouldn't be. And somebody's not going to be happy about that. She's already uncovering things that shouldn't be. Yeah, she then receives a notification that this host has gone stray. And her and Stubbs go out to track it. Hence the title of the show. Yes, potentially, although we see a lot of people going astray, so to speak, in this episode. How so? Well, Dolores is doing things that she shouldn't be doing and hiding it. Seems like lying to other people. We know the man in black is astray as far as this entire storyline. Bernard is straying from what he's supposed to be doing in his interactions with Dolores and potentially other hosts. Um, I think it's it's happening in quite a few areas. But yes, this is what the main point of the title is based off of this gentleman that we will see later on who's wandered off. What if we are in a game and we don't even know it? <laughs> that sucks because our storyline isn't cool. Wake up, go to work. <laughs> yeah, we got the Teddy circuit <laughs> we do. going on here. No one would want this storyline. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, This is where Stubbs tells her about the one line of code. 
that's stopping the host from hacking them, and this is why he carries a weapon with him? You know what? I'm really starting to like this character. He seemed kind of one-dimensional, especially the first episode, which we got most of him the first episode. But Stubbs looks like, you know, there's always that security guy or that main, you know, main muscle dude that's Mm kind of just like, he seemed like that, but I don't think he is. I think he's more aware than, you know, they're showing us right now. Well, he certainly has the pulse beat on the inherent danger in this. He's one of the only people to recognize how wrong it could go. Mm-hmm. And to be wary of them. Now, Teddy and a guest head to the Mariposa after finishing up their bounty hunt. And when Maeve sees him, she flashes back to the memory of yeah. the trauma she had in the Mi- surgery. And, and Min after. convo, actually. Yeah. We knew she was going to remember that. That's going to continue to be bad news. And outside, Dolores drops her can and Teddy picks it up again. We start to see them running through that storyline riding their horses, but having a different conversation when they get there because Dolores wonders if there's somewhere else they could go to start a new life together. Well, someday I'll take you. Someday. Something wrong? You said someday. Not today or tomorrow or next week. Just someday. Someday sounds a lot like the thing people say when they actually mean never. Let's not go someday, Teddy. Let's go now. She says, what if I don't want to stay here? Sometimes I feel like the world out there is calling me, whispering there's something more. They talk about possibly going south to a place by the sea... But someday is what Teddy says. And interestingly enough, she knows that that means it's not going to happen. If we say someday, we're never going to get there. We have to leave right now. And Dr. Ford asked Teddy later on, didn't you ever think of just running off with her? Which is weird. He's programmed not to do that. Why would Dr. Ford question, you know, the human thing to do would be to just run away with her? Well, of course he's not going to do that. He's not programmed. Does not compute. He also says he has to reckon with his past first, and we'll hear more about that past later on. So we see, we were wondering last episode if Teddy was watching Maeve during that whole interaction uh, during, in the repair. If he was bay. awake enough. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it kind of looked like it in the way the camera angle. But if he was at that moment, he is forgotten at this point. Right. And Teddy seems to be one of the hosts at least from what we know, mm-hmm. he's being sufficiently wiped. He's not remembering. He's right. following his programming every day. And I wonder if we're supposed to see a contrast very strongly between him and Dolores here. I think so. I think we needed that contrast uh, so that we know how they're supposed to function. But what's funny is the one host that needs to be woken up is Teddy. So I'm wondering why they haven't had Dolores say those key words. I was just going to ask you the same thing. And now that she's coming to her own awareness of her own volition, even why doesn't she say them to him? She must want to wake him up in the worst way and run away together. I don't think she knows that those words. Am I allowed to say it? Because you told me. Oh, sure. You could say it. (laughs) 
These violent delights have violent ends. I don't think she knows that's a key word to wake anyone up. Okay, so you don't think she voluntarily said that to me if she was instructed to do so? Oh, yeah, you can see it in her face. It was almost like she was in a trance and then snaps out once she says that. And even if she did, she didn't really understand that that's what it did. But maybe at some point, since she's progressing so quickly, she will come to that realization. Perhaps if that person speaking to her, which I'm going to go ahead and say it's the man in black, a.k.a. Arnold, tells her to. Hmm. We got a glimpse into the behind the scenes of Dolores' storyline. The narrative department has given us the storyline builder template in which she can start off, it seems, only in one place every day. She has to wake up at Abernathy Ranch. She has to have the porch conversation with her father and go to the Sweetwater General Store where she drops her can of milk. Right. Only then can she diverge. Three main things can happen. Either a guest picks it up, she picks it up herself, or Teddy picks it up. And depending on which of those happens takes her to a very different storyline. If a guest picks it up, he can seemingly woo her in a nice way. Mm-hmm. He can menace her, and that eventually leads to Teddy either rescuing her or a guest killing Teddy, or she can reset. If she picks it up herself, this is when she goes out to paint, she heads home for the evening, and we see the attack on the ranch. Apparently, sometimes the ranch ends okay and she just goes to sleep. Or finally, if Teddy picks it up, this is where they ride off. They have their nice conversation. And that also leads to the attack at the ranch. Or sometimes the dad just makes Teddy leave, which we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, the attack on the ranch is sometimes probably because um, those hosts that attack the ranch, mm-hmm. they probably have divergence as well of all, of all different kinds. Of course, and we learned the ultimate tragedy from Ford, which we pretty much knew, but part of the main reason for Dolores and Teddy is that guests are going to want to make off with the rancher's daughter yeah, and do what they want with her. So they want the experience of killing Teddy sometimes mm-hmm. and having to take her from him, or sometimes they just want it easy. It kind of seems like there's levels to this game. And if you're a beginner and you want to start in the intro, we saw a guest that wanted to get her easy. And when Teddy came along, he wasn't too keen on having to fight him for that. Right. So there's like levels of depravity that are happening here, depending on your tastes and why you come to Westworld. I just have to say again, poor Teddy. Poor Teddy and poor Dolores. I mean, at least Teddy's storyline sometimes leads him to being a hero and trying to rescue her and die valiantly. But she exists solely to gratify the base desires of the visitors that come to this park. Speaking of poor Teddy, this scene ends with him escorting her back home where they have the gunfire erupting at the ranch, the attack. He dies again. And worse yet, we find out Teddy has never even had a real backstory. Tell me, has it never occurred to you to run off with her? I got some reckoning to do before I can be with her. Ah, yes, your mysterious backstory. It's the reason for my visit. Do you know why it is a mystery, Teddy? Because we never actually bothered to give you one, just a formless guilt you will never atone for. But perhaps it is time you had a worthy story of origin. Would you like that, Teddy? small part of my new narrative. 
a fiction which, like all great stories, is rooted in truth? It starts in a time of war, a world in flames, with a villain called Wyatt. Wyatt? Who's Wyatt? Do you remember now, Teddy? Yeah, of course I remember Wyatt. This is pretty crazy to imagine for all the elaborate things they've put in here. And all that Sizemore wants to do with his narratives and Ford with his detail-oriented nature. One of our main stories that happens in the park is the Dolores-Teddy duo and how guests can interact with that. And it seems like a big part of that is them wanting to be together, but Teddy telling her he has to deal with his sins first yeah. and resolve his past. He's write his wrongs. He doesn't even know what that is because they never gave it to him. It's just this very vague sense of guilt that he has to atone for. You know, I think that's a testament to mankind because oftentimes we can hold a, a strong guilt for something that we probably shouldn't be holding guilt for. And yes, we actually do have a past and a storyline, but... As time goes on, you remember things differently, and it could be a diluted version of the past. You know, maybe as a child, your parents, um, this is random, your parents have a divorce, and you were so young, you thought it was your fault. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, if no one's spoken to you about it, that could cultivate into a whole storyline that really wasn't there. And you have this guilt. That's true. And perhaps remembering a specific horrific tragedy would be even worse. But there's just something very sad about him not even having a backstory or knowing where he comes from. And yet he's brave all the same, Ford tells him. This is my favorite quote from the episode. Ford says, a coward dies a thousand deaths, a valiant taste of death but once. Hmm. And that's more Shakespeare for you. Ford is a poet. Here he starts to produce his new narrative, which started in a time of war with the world in flames. The level he's going to with this, I think tells us a lot about Ford and where the show moves in the future. I had thought that Ford was this creative genius who might want to be putting mistakes into the programming to evolve life again the way we as humans have done. He teaches Bernard about this. This episode seems to contradict that and show him as a man who has learned his lesson from seeing someone else trying to do that and see the destruction and the craziness it wrought, he doesn't want to go anywhere near having them evolve a consciousness. He does not want to treat them as humans. He is very brusque about it later on. And even here with Teddy, he doesn't even want to give him a full backstory this whole time. So I think him giving him a backstory now is not because he cares about Teddy or he wants to flesh this out more. This is going to (laughs) fold into his new storyline somehow. Oh, absolutely. I love how he tells Teddy that he's died at least a thousand times. Yeah. Just again to show us that Teddy has had the shit end of the stick. When he's bringing up this whole storyline to Teddy, I love the way he speaks to his hosts. He speaks to them with a sense of humanity, but at the same time, a straight line. When you're speaking to someone, especially when you're having such full conversations... The, you weave in and out 
of the conversation as far as like pushing an agenda or opening um, a sense of insecurity. You know, like you, you're narrating a storyline to get somewhere, right? But with yeah. hosts, he speaks with them with humanity, but it's a very straight line because he, he doesn't have to BS. I didn't see it that way, though. It's funny you took it like that. I see what you mean, that he's keeping it very clear. He's clarifying for them, this is who you are. This is where you came from. But that is what's tragic to me. At one point, he tells him, oh, poor Teddy. (laughs) Your story is never to get Dolores and for you to ride off into the sunset someday. She exists so that visitors to this park can try to kill you and have their way with her. That's what I mean. I know he's not going to remember that, but that's a horrible thing to say. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But what I meant was, yeah, not speaks with them with humanity. Maybe I meant like speaks with them, doesn't speak to them like you're speaking to Siri. No, certainly not. So, yeah, there's no humanity. (laughs) uh, He's giving them them a synthetic humanity. To go back to the word you said before about building the synthetic Westworld. Right. I actually like that because... It's true. His version of humanity, what he wants them to know, what he wants them to be programmed with. And that probably tells us a lot about Ford himself. Oh, yeah. Let me uh, hit you with another Dr. Ford quote. Hmm. A fiction which, like all great stories, is rooted in truth. This dude, he's very well read. Yeah. Well, and whose truth? His truth? Exactly what we were saying. He's building these backstories and narratives. So is he taking it from his own truth? Good question. I don't think so because his whole point to Lee was to stop building storylines based off of what he wants or what he feels. Yes. As far as Lee. So I I don't think he's like that. I don't think he's that close-minded. Oh, I don't think he's doing it out of a sense of self-importance. But when we talked about you create something, inevitably some of yourself and your own truth goes into that creation. Sure. We're artists. You can't make a painting. I'm a writer. You can't write a story without somewhere pieces of yourself winding up in one of the characters, in your brushstrokes, in your content. In order to make it something interesting and compelling, you have to do that, whether you mean to or not. And so... What part of Ford's truths are we seeing in his house and his world? Well, we'll learn more about Teddy's backstory in a moment. For now, we see him being sent back into the fold, just knowing that he has a detailed past involving a villain named Wyatt. And Teddy comes to Dolores' rescue in town, where she's being harassed by this guest we mentioned before. He takes her out to try to teach her how to shoot. Hmm. This was a key moment. Because she really wanted to fire that gun. Yeah. And just couldn't. It's definitely foreshadowing the end of the episode with the real gun. Yeah, and we find out later from Elsie that only certain hosts are programmed to be able to use weapons. Right. And clearly Dolores would not be one of those. No. So she's literally not able to pull the trigger. I had this thought. So you know the whole montage, which we haven't gotten to, but I'm Mr. Going Ahead. So we didn't know what was happening in real time, what was a memory. And you were talking about the gun missing in the in her drawer. Yep. And we saw last episode that she dug it up. Mm-hmm. I think the gun was in her drawer from 
the gun she took and shot that dude, um, which we haven't gotten to yet, of course, mm-hmm. um, in the cabin. It was in her drawer, and then she dug it. She she was the one that who dug it into the ground, and now so like we're set like the you know what I mean? It's I, like yeah, back. I saw it reverse though, being sequential. So somebody told her to go look for it. She dug it out of the ground. She hid it in her drawer. Then as she went through her storyline and she's starting to gain awareness, she realizes at some point she keeps getting attacked and she could use that gun. Where does she get attacked? In the barn. So one of these nights, she hides it in the hay in the barn. Then she realizes after going through another loop, even when she has it, the guy gets to her first and is able to shoot her. So in another loop coming later, she moves away from that shot so she doesn't get hit. So... I took it as her learning from her storylines. It could be somebody just instructing her, but then why wouldn't he instruct her A to B throughout the whole thing? I think he's stepping her through, helping her so that she can she can gain her awareness and eventually get through it on her own and learn because that's how you would evolve. Right, and she and that's how she breaks that storyline. Mm-hmm. You're right. I you know what? I thought that she took that when he was grabbing her and threw her into the barn. I thought she took that gun from his holster. But you might be right. I like your storyline better. It was Definitely. confusing, but I think she pulled it out of the hay. Okay. Like it was hidden there. That's a way better story. At the end of this scene is when the sheriff comes riding up and asks Teddy to go on this mission to hunt down Wyatt. So this is when Teddy already has... Oh, I forgot to say. Apologies. We took a screenshot of Dr. Ford's computer when he was uploading the memory to Teddy. Mm-hmm. You know, I love computers. And I've talked about that... that sweet iPod. Yeah. Or iPad. iPad. It's not an iPad, but you know what I mean. So we took a screenshot and we put it on our Twitter, at CKC Podcast. It's very cool. Just check out all the things. It's not just an upload button. There's so many things on that screen about his body. Seems like the main screen that you could pull up for any host. Mm -hmm. And we wondered, you know, how exactly do they program certain things? On the left side, it looked like they were tracking pseudo-biological functionings. In the body, There yeah. was something like a heart rate and a circulatory yeah, system. Yeah, definitely check that out. Let us know what you think. It looks like, I mean, it could be, if you didn't know the show, you'd be like, oh, that's a necklace that he's wearing during the x-ray. Because it kind of looks like a necklace. A Doesn't low, look low, like low a heart. Necklace. No, not at all. It's a lot smaller. But it's a bright spot in the yeah. center of his chest, almost like they're following the way a doctor would blood pressure heart rate. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. And then on the right side, you have everything related to their narrative development, being able to pull up the story, change the story, upload new information. Exactly. Uh, So I just thought it was interesting, so we paused it and took a screenshot of that. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, meanwhile, we see Elsie and Stubbs still trying to find the stray host, and they figure out that the group has gotten stuck in a loop. This was hysterical, but also really sad, as we said before, because certain hosts are programmed only to use the weaponry, there's nobody there that can use this axe. So they're kind of stuck, like you were talking (laughs) about with video games, where you hit a mistake, kind of a glitch in the programming, and you're not able to move any farther. And somebody has to come and set the reset button. What I wondered here, whenever we've seen people working for Westworld go out into Westworld, they've dressed in period clothing. Right. Elsie and Stubbs are out in regular clothes. I think because they're going way out where the guests probably aren't. So only for guest purposes do they do that to not interrupt the narrative. Okay. 
So if somebody could see them, I think that would ruin the experience. I guess they fixed the sheriff, too. That's a... Oh, yeah, he's back and functioning. This is where they search the tent, and Elsie finds the markings mm. on the carved figures. This one, a turtle. She took one. Yeah, because she saw the stars. Yeah. Do you think she's intending on doing something more with that, or this is where she could figure out the things she's not supposed to know? I think she was using it while they were walking. She was looking at it almost as a map. Just to find the stray. Yeah, and to see what, you know, what correlates with that. So it looks like the stars, right? Right. I know a lot of people were wondering if this was on Earth. Yeah, well, it was Orion. So and it's most likely on Earth. From what I heard, it looked like Orion, uh, albeit only part of the constellation, the top part. Mm-hmm. So sort of primitive, but it was the inverse of what you would normally see. Hmm. So if you were on another planet, you probably either wouldn't see Orion or you wouldn't see what they have marked here. Right. Meaning it would have to be Earth. But why is it flipped almost like the way you would see a mirror image? So I heard another podcast talking about something we had wondered at, if this is similar to the Truman Show where they're in some type of I was going to say that, yeah. Huge dome, and so things are being reflected back differently to them, or, or falsely, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I think she's going to learn more with that. I think Elsie's on the train, and you should be watchful of her. She also mentioned something very important in discussing the host's backstories. They are there to do more than just amuse the guests. They anchor the hosts. It's their cornerstone. The rest of their identity is built around it layer by layer. So this is not just when I question why do they talk to each other when guests aren't around and right. they said it was for practice and now it's the cornerstone of their being. We see Teddy getting the backstory. It's a built identity that they oh, yeah. need in order to function properly. But that's another step in this becoming a human. We list we listed a lot of the things that will lead up to that and they're really starting to build now. We also hear a funny joke by Stubbs in regards to the star thing. And he says, maybe it's in my backstory. Yeah. That sparked a lot of speculation. Uh, Again, about is he a host, which I have to mention here. I think it was just a clever joke. Yeah. I mean, chances are maybe everyone, almost everyone except for the board, are hosts that Dr. Ford made or not. But I don't think that's the main storyline. To follow. Yeah. Nor do I. And I actually don't see... I see these two as being very likely human candidates. Yeah. Stubbs and Elsie. Well, Elsie, for sure. She's got too many um, human quirky things, which I love about her. Shannon Woodward is doing an amazing job at playing this character. Back to Teddy and the sheriff as they're riding off in search of Wyatt. He starts to tell the sheriff about this new backstory that he's gotten how he used to be in the army, and Wyatt was his sergeant. They were down somewhere near Escalante to put down natives, and Wyatt went missing. When he returned, he was different, changed. He was claiming he could hear the voice of God, and that this land didn't belong to the army or the natives, but something yet to come, and it belonged to him. I feel like this is big in a way we're not fully comprehending yet. No, not yet. When he said it could have a life of its own, he's basically instituting religion. Because now there's going to be someone who hears and interprets the words of the Lord. 
Yeah, that's what I thought at first until later Ford will tell us and we'll get into that, but how Arnold was trying to build consciousness in right. to these hosts by having them understand the programming they were hearing as their own thoughts, and he hoped that would evolve later, but some of them took that or it was programmed to be God's voice. So it seems like this could just be fragments of Arnold's code. Oh, I see. That they still think, because they haven't evolved totally to that point, they right. still think they are hearing the voice of God. But my question here is that I had originally thought this new storyline would be Ford letting the hosts develop kind of a story of their own with a little prompting. They could then create this universe, which would be more of what the guests were looking for. This episode, it seems like he's totally against any of that. He doesn't want to go into the territory that Arnold was broaching and having them develop consciousness. So how does that tie into what's going on here with Teddy's story? It seems contradictory. Unless he's giving, like you said, he's trying to cut that off. He sees the fragments that Arnold left, but he's trying to cut it off with a concrete response. It's nothing else. It actually is the voice of God. And this is what religion is. And it will build you this backstory so we fix it and we nip that in the bud. I think you could be right. Perhaps. uh, This is one of the things that we, we just don't know. And I don't feel confident enough to even have a theory yet. You know, it's funny, starting this new show, because we were dealing with Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. and Mr. Robot, where we've had a lot of storyline to learn and to cultivate the theories. Mm -hmm. So podcasting was like this fun theory tank. I forgot what the feeling is when you first start a show. You're so confused. And you don't have much (laughs) to go off of yet. Yeah. And you're trying to create content. It was very difficult. But um, this was the first episode where I was starting to feel a release... And I, and I could start theorizing with confidence. Oh, see, I felt more bogged down. Like, yeah, theories are flooding my brain, but I don't have a good handle on any of them. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, it's exciting. But I wonder if you're listening to a podcast going, <laughs> what are you idiots talking about right now? <laughs> but we want to hear your takes on it, too. I kind of appreciate this new idea. So if you have any other thoughts on where that could go with the new storyline, feel free to write in. Back to Wyatt. So he comes back from the mission with these strange and violent ideas. And now the search party comes upon this man tied to a tree and they're ambushed. Teddy leads this charge and he puts himself out there to go give them cover, try to hold off the attackers so that the couple of guests that are actually with them can escape back to town. This was the first storyline that we're watching that I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is actually fun to watch. Yeah, we knew that Teddy was part of this alternate storyline where there would be a bounty hunt or a search, but we've never gotten to see this side of it. And the guests are really enjoying it up until this point. And shit gets way too Too real. real. There's that really tough woman that's on the the hunt that I enjoyed. Uh, But it seems like Teddy's going to go down in a blaze of glory trying to defend them, although we don't actually see him die, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to end here. I mean, Teddy usually always dies, but there was weird stuff going on, like I said, where he was shooting at the Native Americans and it wasn't touching them. No. And what's with the noise? It was like a, an elephant or a dinosaur, it felt like, the first time. Then the second time, I think it was we could see that this is a, a Native tribe that dresses up. Wolves, I think. Haven't they mentioned the wolves on this show? We've seen them. 
I real think, wolves, but yeah, I think they talk. Somebody talked though about the wolves, and the second time around, it sounded like they could be doing that. When you hear someone doing a wolf, they don't they howl? Yeah, normally, but it was definitely animalistic, and they were trying to scare them off. Right. I don't know that they actually wanted to engage. Maybe if they do this with most people, they just back off hmm. and leave them to whatever it is they're up to out there because we think they're agents of somebody else's control. Right. So who knows what they're getting up to? I don't think Teddy's dead because the writers are bringing us into something right now. Yeah. So there's more to this storyline. Either he is dead and then we go through it again mm-hmm. or they're not dead. Maybe they're captured. Yeah. If, My, the, if they're... This is part of their storyline. I don't. Right. I'm not confident they're controlling these people out there, but I think you could be right that we'll see it unravel a little more. We we did have the theory that as you get further away from town, the reset cycle gets longer. Mm-hmm. So they're not resetting every day. We will see things play out a bit more, like the guys that got stuck around the campfire. I'm wondering, is this tribe part of Doctor Ford's new narrative, or is this a tribe that's always been there? We're just seeing it. I think they're rogue. Like I said before, I think they're being controlled by somebody else. Whether that's Arnold slash Man in Black or somebody we haven't seen yet. Uh, Because they're not getting hit, that indicates a difference. Yeah, definitely. If they're shot, they are supposed to be hit. They were reacting as the same way that the Man in Black Mm -hmm. reacted. And that shouldn't happen to. Right. So that might be... I don't know. I'm thinking... There's more to this man in black, Arnold. If we're wrong, and I feel so stupid. Well, but <laughs> if somebody programmed them differently, like we said before, the only reason they seem to get hurt when they're shot, host that is, is because of the programming to do so. Mm-hmm. So if somebody went in there and reprogrammed them not to get hurt or die, I mean, that'd be easy enough if you knew what you were doing. Right. Um, and an Arnold consciousness probably would know how to do that. We've seen Ford have extraordinary control over these creations at a level that other workers there do not. I imagine Arnold would have had the same kind of control. The next scene is the big one. It starts off with Dr. Ford supervising the design tech that's working with the new host. He's covering the naked host with a blanket. Ford kind of snaps at him a little bit. He very brusquely tells him the hosts are not human, He slices up the face with a scalpel to show them they only feel what we program them to feel, and you need to get over it and not treat them like humans. Yeah. From a human standpoint, it was very dark and kind of fucked up, but if you see it from his standpoint, if this is a new tech, he needs everyone working as fast as possible and as well as possible. And if they're worried about all these little things as if they were humans, these hosts, I'm sure that things would slow down dramatically. And he needs everything efficient and just, and matter of fact, and he doesn't need his workers caring about the hosts on an emotional level. Yes, bigger than efficiency, we learn that it seems one of his greatest fears is things getting out of control the way they did with Arnold. So he wants to teach everyone to treat them for what they are, machines that they have programmed. Right. Bernard did not like that. Did you see the look on his face? Yeah, not at all. And it mirrored our feelings, I think, as an audience, it completely changed the idea I had in my head of Ford Ford, and how he was approaching his creations. And What what if he grabbed it and, like, started biting it like Silence of the Lambs? (laughs) He can't even eat it. (laughs) Silence! 
of the land. Hello, Clarice. It's good to see you again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Bernard then pours, pulls Ford aside and admits that he has concerns about this memory recall that the hosts are experiencing. And specifically because of what we were talking about, the two hosts that talked to someone named Arnold. Seemed like they were speaking to themselves. And apparently Bernard did not know who Arnold was until Ford tells this story. See, Arnold built a version of their cognition in which the hosts heard their programming as a, an inner monologue with the hopes that in time their own voice would take over. It was a way to bootstrap consciousness. But Arnold hadn't considered two things. One, that in this place, the last thing you want the hosts to be is conscious. And two, the other group who considered their thoughts to be the voices of the gods. Lunatics. Indeed. We abandoned the approach. The only vestiges that remain are the voice commands we use to control them. But for all his brilliance, I don't think Arnold understood what this place was going to be. You see, the guests enjoyed power. They cannot indulge it in the outside world, so they come here. And as for the hosts, the least we can do is make them forget. But some of them are remembering, accessing fragments of Arnold's code. If I may ask, what happened to him? That Arnold was his partner when he founded the park, but they had differing goals. Arnold was interested in creating consciousness based on the theory of the bicameral mind and Ford was not. So before we go further, Ford said that the robots passing the Turing test wasn't enough for Arnold. He didn't want the appearance of intellect. He wanted actual intellect. So in order to do this, he was following his theory of consciousness, which is like a pyramid. On the bottom, it starts out with memory, moves up to improvisation, then self-interest, and then something at the top. And this feels very like Pyramids I've seen in psychology, okay, where they talk about reaching self-actualization, and that's what the very top is, hmm. realizing everything that you can become and actualizing that. So Ooh. the bottom starts with your very basest desires, the things that we need, physical things, food, water, shelter. Then it moves up to your thoughts on an intellectual level, and then your emotions, how you connect to other people and It's a similar pyramid, and it also taps into the items we had highlighted as being important for an evolving consciousness. Having a subconscious of memories that you can link back to your own past. He says improvisation. I saw this as the practice they're doing with each other, being able to speak and come up with things on their own volition, which calls into mind intellect, but I also put emotional connection there. Hmm. Self-interest, I believe, is what we're seeing with Dolores, trying to protect herself, to not have people savage her, to fight for a better future and be able to run away with Teddy. (laughs) And going back to that word bicameralism, I didn't know what that meant, but it's another philosophy in psychology that argues the human mind once assumed a state where cognitive functions were divided between one part of the brain that appears to be speaking and another part which listens and obeys. And that's the bicameral mind, the two-part. So the one that's listening and obeys, is this the one that's hearing 
the programmer speak the inner monologue that would eventually transform, as Arnold hoped, into a consciousness. And that's certainly what Ford thinks, that they could be accessing fragments of this old code that was left behind. Because we find out for the first three years they had this park, they all lived there. And everything was really great. It wasn't open yet. It wasn't running. They were just getting ready. And this is when Arnold started kind of going off in a different direction. We don't know much else except that it just didn't end well. Yeah, Dr. Ford said, basically, they said it was an accident, but he was very careful. So either Ford is saying that he was killed or something else happened. Mm -hmm. If our theory that the man in black is Arnold, basically, you know, maybe not his physical, Mm -hmm. but something else that maybe he's insinuating that it might have been a plan of Arnold's. Yeah, but it doesn't seem that Ford would have been in on that because I thought to myself, if this was him and Ford knows everything that goes on in this park, how is he allowing him to keep running free there? So perhaps Ford thought that he died and he found a way in secret to upload into this host that people aren't suspecting of having the qualities that he has or that seems like a guest to them Mm -hmm. but is actually... A host. It's it's very tricky there. Or Ford is in on it. <laughs> I'm going way off. <laughs> and Ford made this man in black. And he just doesn't want everyone else to know. Yeah. Um surprised that he hasn't brought Bernard in on it yet, then, but maybe he thought about doing that in the future because it seems he's slowly opening him up to what is behind the scenes. Oh yeah. And we actually get a little glimpse, speaking of behind the scenes, of what goes on in Ford's mind. There's a chalkboard up in the background. While Ford is speaking to Bernard, before he makes the triangle, Mm -hmm. you can see in the background. Yeah, he kind of erases this image of a tree that was up there. About the hosts and their reveries and how they react, it seems. Because on the left side... You have the reveries being the main thing. Two things leading to that. The frame agent and low-level agencies. Not sure what those are. But that goes out to four different categories. The reveries leads to impulse filters, database backup, safeguards, and storyline sync. So I guess that's a way of controlling the memories through all these safeguards that they put in place and leading to a controlled host reflex. Hmm. However, below that, the host reflex can lead to recognizing or memorizers. Recognizing and memorizers. So is that as simple as recognizing the cue Mm -hmm. of an old memory that's linked to this behavior and memorizing the reaction? The response. When this happens, I'm supposed to respond this way. So he wants them to tap those, but he's trying his damnedest to not have that evolve into something else. Yeah. And it's something that we should point out that Dr. Ford did spell these words differently. Yes, that was very bizarre. I picked up on it right away. For frame agent, he spelt it A-G-A-N-T. And I don't know if that's a different word or if this is his own language that he's developed. Same thing with memorizers. What is a memorizer? So I got to look more into that. But for now, we got a really good behind the scenes Mm -hmm. view of Ford. Then we get a behind-the-scenes of Bernard because he goes to this video call 
I was under the impression that it could be his current wife. I know you do see that relationship thing going on with Teresa, but we've pretty much been told that they have to stay wherever this is, the workers, inside the Mesa Hub for long stretches at a time. It seems they have limited contact with the outside world. Even the head ups, like Bernard. Yeah. Can't always get contact with the outside world. I'm saying ex-wife because I was thinking that with this tragedy, it kind of broke them apart. I thought that too. She was responding in a very supportive way. They were being very open with each other. So I thought it could just be Rocky, but HBO's description lists her as the ex-wife. Oh, okay. So I was right. Yeah, ex-wife. Yeah. And it seems that they do this every year on the anniversary of their son's death. Just relive it and relive it and relive it. And he is almost wishing that maybe he could forget. She asks him that. You know, is this really good? Right. Is it healthy for us to To keep doing this? And he says the pain is all that connects him to him. It's all he has left of his son, Charlie. You know, this job is perfect for him. You know, oftentimes when someone has such a tragedy like this and then it pulls his loved one apart with him, what better than to really bury yourself in your work Mm. where you have no choice but to bury yourself in your work far away buried into a mountain where limited access to the outside Mm -hmm. but it's clearly affecting things he can't keep his emotions separate based on the way he's responding it is ford's worst fear at the end of the last scene he told him arnold died in the park and don't fall victim to this same obsession the hosts are not real they're not conscious and he is having great difficulty doing so Ford is also concerned that he's still very bothered by the trauma of losing his son. This is definitely foreshadowing. This is going to be something that Bernard's going to be wrestling with. And we did have a conversation, I think last episode of the one prior, where we talked about, is Bernard bad or is he good? And I said, I don't don't think he's bad. I think he's trying to do good. So yes, he's trying to do good. The result may be bad. Or it might be what he's doing is just go in parallel with whatever's going on with the robots. Well, but he could also chase his demons over the edge the mm-hmm. same way Sizemore warned about Ford. And does Ford know he's in trouble because Ford went through something similar once before? We talked about he might have lost somebody and had known what that was like and yeah. been in trouble of that. And he's also seen what happened to Arnold. So it seems as though he is so strict and careful now because of what he's seen in the past. And mm-hmm. he's worried that Bernard could be headed there. And uh, Bernard knows that. He's keeping these tete-a-tetes with Dolores very secret. Very, very secret. Something about that scene, I, I noticed right away that his ex-wife, Bernard's ex-wife, is Gina Torres mm. from Suits. Which is, uh, she's the head lawyer in Suits. And that's the show that's on before Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I think... This is really, we, in the real world, Mm -hmm. we're in a computer. Because all of these things keep pointing back to each other. (laughs) So RL is VR? Yes. Is what you're saying? Yeah. The next couple scenes we already discussed, Elsie and Stubbs just continue looking for this stray. She messages for backup. Teddy and his party are ambushed. That's when Teddy's overtaken. And now over to what we were talking about in another diagnostic. Bernard tells Dolores he needs to restore her to her old state. 
in order to keep her safe. He thinks this is what he has to do. Again, she wonders if she's done something wrong. And he tells her about the time he tried to teach his son Charlie to swim. And she later asks him about his late son. And he switches her into analytics to find out why. Why did she ask this personal question? She just says it's an ingratiating scheme. You know, it builds this sense of trust. It's in her programming. He's kind of like, oh, okay. He's satisfied because that's safe. Mm -hmm. But he still doesn't really know what to do with her. And then he asks her the question about changing her back and there being two versions of her. Imagine there are two versions of yourself. One that feels these things and asks these questions and one that's safe. Which would you rather be? I'm sorry. I'm trying, but I still don't understand. No, of course not. There aren't two versions of me. There's only one. And I think when I discover who I am, I'll be free. And she says, oh, I'm confused. There aren't two versions. Hmm. There's only one. And when I discover who I am, I will be free. You think this is going to do her in because he asks where that came from again. And she says, I don't know. There was no prompt to that response. So this seems way too dangerous, like he's just going to wipe her. But that's when he decides to let it go, that he wants her to just keep going so he can see where this will lead. And just, you know, stay on your loop. Don't tell anybody we've been talking. So that was really crazy, I thought. Oh, I agree. I wonder what made him really uh, do a 180 on that. Well, he goes back to the quote that Ford gave him. Evolution forged the entirety of human life on this planet using only one tool, the mistake. He obviously thinks that's a noble pursuit or something worth continuing, and he's going to keep doing so secretly. The next scene is Dolores back out there on the cycle and hearing about the sheriff's mission and how it didn't go well with Teddy. She races back home to find the bandits attacking the ranch again, and this is where she starts slipping in and out of the different moments, mm-hmm. the memories, it seems, remembering previous guests. She, she saw her real dad. Exactly. That's oh, what that tipped me off to the, the previous memory thing. Peter, Peter. And as Reba stands over her in the barn, she remembers the man in black also. Then when she finds the gun, we forgot to mention the voice tells her to kill him. So she is being guided through this process, and she is able to shoot Rebus. Because of that voice, it super, uh, it overcame the programming? Essentially, it re- reprogrammed her to be able to shoot? Yeah, I don't think it's reprogramming her. I think it's teaching her to override it and evolve out of it to learn from these loops how to behave differently. Because I think that's what the real goal is. Anybody could just keep reprogramming. Right. He wants her to take the next step in her evolution. And I just want to say again that we were right that he wasn't raping her. Oh, I think it's Bernard guiding her through this. You you do? Yeah. Okay. But I think the man in black is not a bad thought to be involved somehow. Yeah, if if he is the personification of Arnold. Yeah, he's certainly involved. We have two final scenes. The first is Stubbs trying to cut into 
stray guy's neck. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, let's talk about this stray guy. Oh my god. I always get excited when I see this actor, and you always say to me, who? Yeah. As soon as I saw it, even before they went down into the ditch, I was like, that's Tate Fletcher. Yeah. He's a retired UFC fighter. He has a podcast. Him and another retired UFC fighter started this coffee company called Caveman Coffee. It's Mm. really good coffee. Hopefully, they'll be a sponsor for us one of these days. That'd be fitting for the Coffee Clatch crew. And you are obsessed with UFC. I watch it with you, but I can never remember names. I can't remember names unless they're UFC fighters. I don't know what it is. He's in so many movies, but he's always in like the most epic movies, but for like 10 seconds. You know, he's a fighter. He's pretty badass. You guys have seen him now. He's a big boy. He's in short roles like Jurassic World. There's a helicopter that's coming to save them, and he's one of the military guys with the gun. Okay. He just smiles. Uh, He's in John Wick. John Wick kicks his ass. He kicks Hmm. everyone's ass, but he kicks his ass. Uh, The Lone Ranger, Thor, Breaking Bad, A Million Ways to Die in the West, and it goes on and on and on. I want this guy's life. He he does everything. Anyway, I get excited when I I see him in places. Um, And I have no other reason why to bring that up except for he's badass. (laughs) Well, it certainly is another epic moment he has. This is one of Stubbs' biggest fears. Right? The programming goes wrong. He does try to attack them. He right. is a big boy. He wakes up from his sleep mode. We're seeing this happen multiple times now. Again, I believe them being able to override their programming. I saw that coming, though, when he said, turn, of it, course. turn it off. Can you turn it off, please? And they don't, again, they don't try to use the voice command to reshut them down. Neither one of them do that. Elsie tries to fiddle with her iPad thingy yeah. to shut him down. That's not working. The host climbs out of this ravine and grabs a boulder, and you really think he's going to come at Elsie. And that's when he starts smashing himself over the head with it. Yeah. How do we explain that? I don't think it's part of their programming to turn on themselves. No. Their programming is to not harm any guests. We believe that has to extend to the workers. Yeah, any humans. And, and even beyond that, to intervene if somebody else is trying to harm them. So he's going off script by trying to attack them. And then all of a sudden, it's like a short circuit. I think given the fact that he's straying, we've seen certain hosts doing things abnormal, right. not being able to be hurt by like the Native Americans. They seem to be off on a different tribe or controlled by something else, not Mm -hmm. like Dolores with Bernard. So I think this man was part of that group, whatever that is. And that group had instructed him either, if worse comes to worse, you dispose of yourself because now they can't figure out what went wrong with him. They can't? Because he's messed up his head. Oh, okay. Where we think all that lives. Oh, that's right. So he was protecting... The head, because they were going to cut the head off. Right. So either he was programmed to do that, or somebody came in and fiddled with him. Okay. Like we've seen our people do. Of course. And made that happen, because I don't see any other explanation. Unless he just totally glitched out, and it was like... (laughs) But he kind of did harm... Stubbs. Stubbs, yeah. Yeah. He was halfway through that attack. I mean, he kind of just hit him, but... But it seemed like he was trying to get away because he was climbing out of the boulder. He was trying to get out of there, and it wasn't until he realized he wasn't going to be able to make it to get mm-hmm. away Okay. that he did that, I think. Oh, I just remembered why I brought up Tate Fletcher. 
because I follow him on Twitter. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> He's giving me a face. A few months ago on his Twitter or Instagram, he had a picture of him like pretty much naked, but his whole body was in this like mold. Okay. But he couldn't say what it was for. And then after that episode, he released that it was a whole body mold to become the robot so that they, they could, could smash him, hack him up and Ugh, shit. That was gruesome. Isn't that crazy? There we go. I had a reason. Why did he have to cut into his neck? Like, we've seen them do things where they take the scalp off. But right. this was weird. He was like hacksawing through him. It was pretty gruesome. Look into the stars. Oh I just kept, when he said that, I was like, look at the flowers. Oh, Walking yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, in our final scene, Logan and William are sitting by the campfire. We find out the fun tidbit here that they are paying 40K a day to be here. Hmm. And we're going to get into our itinerary. Oh, my God. You have, she has such good stuff. In Can't just a minute on how Westworld can run you, how much money. But the end of this here is that Dolores rides into their camp and she collapses into William's arms. He catches her. So we saw that possible love story developing. And I think that's where that's going. And that wrapped up our episode three. Oof. But we still have a lot to talk about. We discussed some of these inspirations behind Westworld and all the different things they're pulling from. We talked about a lot, but businessinsider.com named five big ones. Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. which you can definitely see. I mean, this is another Crichton-based storyline. It's a park program for the amusement of humans until it all goes wrong. Both of them question the motivations of futuristic science that tries to meddle with the natural state of things. Mm. Number two, they cited AI by Spielberg. So what happens when you program a robot to feel human emotions, how that can go wrong. Number three is Lost. We talked about how we didn't watch this, but I've heard a lot about it, how there's supposedly a deep mythology and a, this crazy philosophy at work, a deeper level of puzzles. Number four is Grand Theft Auto. So the showrunners have said that That's they... That's funny. We brought that up. Yeah, we did. And they have said that they took video games for their research they pulled from those things. Definitely. So with this one, it's a vast fake place that allows guests to indulge their basest desires. When you say that, I think of that scene where our poor Teddy gets shot in the bar mm -hmm. while he's having a conversation just randomly. I would do that in Grand Theft Auto. I would just like run up to exactly. people and just bang, bang. But they also have the beautiful scenery, especially oh, as yeah. the games go on in Grand Theft Auto. So yeah. you can explore the world at the same time. So it's very similar feeling. They also cite Bioshock, which I've never played. That's a good game. Um, another video game where a character's found himself in a dystopian city struggling with moral choices. So that and much more. We also talked about classical inspirations. We saw the Shakespeare references again in this episode. And we'll talk in just a minute about how even the titles might come into play. First, let's talk about discoverwestworld.com. We go through this each week based on our updates that we get sent by Aiden. They always have a destination. For episode three, it was Python Pass. They describe it as a treacherous climbing experience where you'll meet mountain men, trappers, loggers, and miners. The log bridges over the rapids are creaky, so watch your step. Those daring to be there at the beginning of the cattle drive will find it here, but the cattle tend to attract the wolves. If the wolves aren't to your liking, there are bears, bats, coyotes, and the occasional lost buffalo to keep you on your toes. Hmm. So mentions of wolves again. Python Pass also brings to mind 
the words that the little girl spoke to the man in black, the next step of the maze being to follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs. So is that related to this? The section on expand your itinerary talked about... Is that what Tate Fletcher was doing down there? Essentially, metaphorically laying his eggs? Because snakes go under somewhere. They do. Hiding to lay their eggs. So was he doing something down... Like, what was he doing down there? That was the stray person. So there was a reason for him to be down there. Yeah, I mean, he could have just... Like, he was being led somewhere, obviously, off the map and got like fell into this ravine and got stuck but it didn't seem like that and maybe even if he wasn't doing something that you're supposed to find this location is Mm -hmm. a piece of the map that you need to get to so he could be following that map Stubbs, in amidst everything going crazy he just climbs back up Mm -hmm. but he didn't look deeper into there there might be something did it go back further i couldn't tell Uh, maybe that's the beginning of the maze could be could be and that's where they're hiding. That's why they haven't been able to see them on the programming. Oh, it's yeah. some underground cave that's not on their radar. Maybe. That could be fun. Uh, back to the weekly newsletter, you have Expand Your Itinerary, which talked about look at the stars. You can go to YouTube. There's a video on the clip of the episode. This one, where the host self-sabotages. Okay. They also take you to facebook town hall they've been putting things on there as well the facebook site and there was two videos one was looking for more intel on the stray where the cast and series creators weigh in on last night's big moments and then the second one was join us now with jonathan nolan lisa joy thandy newton jeffrey wright jimmy simpson and ben barnes for a live discussion of westworld moderated by the atlantic's christopher orr Actually, didn't get to watch that video yet. We had a lot of research to do, but I'm going to hmm. go back and check that out. And finally, you had navigating narratives, which takes you to that Dolores storyline builder template we discussed. Didn't seem as though there were any new flagged communications or corporate alerts, but we did get our hands on that itinerary that we talked about. This was really cool. Basically, when you can start to book your trip on discoverwestworld.com <laughs> yeah. and pick what you want. I think somebody went through this or they had a screenshot of somebody that did. They booked it as though they were going to be a family at first and then a solo to show you what it might run you. So they chose a gold type package, which is $200,000 a day. A day. Then to get the Mesa Gold Suite accommodations... It's $280,000 or 20000 a day. What's the suite? I don't understand. In, in Westworld? It says Mesa Gold. So that's where oh. you start in that hub. I don't know if Is they... that what William had with all those suits It could shit? be that room. Or do they actually go there at night at some point for sleeping purposes? I mean, we haven't oh. seen where they sleep. True. That's unclear. But it, this one was using number of guests being three. Okay. So then they break it down. You have a host consultation fee, 25 grand. Looks like that's the woman that greets you in the beginning. The concierge fee, 15 grand. Standard guest insurance, 22 grand, which kind of seems small now compared to the other numbers. Yeah. Is that uh, a day or is that? It looks like total. Okay. (coughs) Biometric monitoring fee, 
14 grand. So it seems like they are checking on your vitals and everything while you're in the park. Arbitration deposit fee, five grand. Maintenance and service fee, 11 grand. Child park fee, 50 grand. So there's a child park. Remember we were asking, is there one? Yes, there's a separate area. Yeah. So this one was like a family and you would have to pay more. Um, They tell you that a 50% deposit is required upon check-in. And leading up to your stay, your concierge host will review this with you. What's the total? So the total for all of that would be $9,666,000 for a total of 14 days. I thought Hawaii was expensive. And you know you could stay 28 days, we've learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would think maybe 14 is kind of average. Yeah. Now, they recalculated Ooh. it. I won't go through everything again. They did all of those same packages um, for just one person and without the child park fee, 442000 For the same amount of days. Okay. Yes, but with the standard package, not the gold type. My God, still expensive. If you guys want to see the itinerary, uh, both of them, and the breakdowns of it, we're going to put it on our Facebook and on our Twitter, at CKC Podcast. All right, Jason, you want to get into our reverie rating? Reverie ratings. I'm going higher, which I know uh, not everyone's doing that, but I enjoyed it more. 9.7. So I'm going up from a 9.5 to a 9.7. The main reason is because we, we have more to talk about and more to, you know, intertwi- interweave our, our own theories okay. now that it's starting to pick up. And things are really starting to unfold. More questions are being made. We're starting to finally see where this story is going, which yeah. is great. Because in the beginning, it, it's difficult, you know? I mean, it's enjoyable, but it's just difficult to entertain off of that. Yeah, difficult to podcast. However, I loved the first episode. I gave it a 9.5 oh, yeah. for world building and just to give room for growth. Mm-hmm. Couldn't help myself. I loved two so much. I went up to 9.7. I'm going to go slightly back down to 9.4 here. Okay. Still an excellent rating. Oh, yeah. Very few complaints. Just that I was getting a bit of that overwhelmed feel for a third episode. I felt like a ton was being dropped on me and I Felt a little bit of that bounced around feeling that I sometimes got in Mr. Robot with a ton of scenes kind of mm-hmm. going back and forth. Um, but I really liked it. I want to echo this critic's remark who said this episode really underlined just how different Ford and Bernard's perspectives are when it comes to the host. With Bernard having an underlying emotional connection he can't break and Ford being much more detached. I thought that was the highlight of the episode. I have a quote from Dr. Ford talking to the tech, and he said, he doesn't get cold, he doesn't feel ashamed, he doesn't feel a solitary thing we haven't told him to. I love it. Told it to. Told it, yeah. Sorry. And again, more foreshadowing. Oh, and also, the reason for my high grade, we had my favorite boo with my favorite color dress on, which is blue. So, uh, uh, Clementine, not enough of her, but... As long as I see her, I'm happy. When she got rescued, were you wishing you were William here? I would rescue her every day. (laughs) And who is your MVB for this episode? My MVB, most valuable badass? I keep forgetting. Being. Being, that's right. change it every time. I'm going to go with Teddy. Okay. Believe it or not. We really got to see what his story is, or lack of story is. And now we get to see his new story from the ground up, from the beginning, mm. how it, when it was created and how things will 
unfold. He's very interesting in me. I want to see what happens with this guy. Unless they keep killing him, then I'm just going to be like, he killed Kenny. It'll be that whole story. No, I like that. I could definitely see going with him. I have to pick Bernard, and I might want to kick myself later Mm because I don't like to pick the same one multiple episodes. But I haven't chosen him yet. We got such a great look into his connection to the host, him being the one to really seems like the only one right now that's a proponent of wanting to help them and continue with this evolution. And that'll probably be a dangerous game later, so I'm going to put him out there while I can. I like that. It's funny, we have freaking Anthony Hopkins, and he has yet to be my MVB. But I think the reason being is because right now he's the man behind the curtain. So we're not allowed to see him too much. And when we do see him this episode, he is kind of the mean wizard. Yes. Although every time he speaks, he does have something brilliant to say. We quote him all the time. Absolutely. He's playing his role perfectly. Oh, for sure. I just think he will get another moment to shine later on in the season. Yeah. Well, we went through most of our Clatcher's comments. I would like to just briefly shout out the ones we didn't, and then we'll get into our final spoiler section. Okay. Thank you to Alec, who tweeted at us. At CKC Podcast, I listened to them for Mr. Robot discussions this whole season, and now they're discussing Westworld. Check them out. Love that. Uh, Sticking with Twitter, I want to give a shout-out to Phonetically Correct and Water Lily Sun. We just had great conversations with them throughout the week, and it's just fun. It's fun to have the energy come back to us. Yeah, we love that. And just converse with people. Over to email, thank you to April in South Dakota, who I mentioned before, who wrote to us about the William Logan relationship, saying in Chestnut, the second scene of the episode shows them getting off the monorail to enter the dressing rooms. Logan tells William to have fun, and William makes a scoffing noise. Logan says, what? It's not like my sister didn't ride her share of cowboys when she was here. Clearly, they are brothers-in-law. I've listened to so many Westworld podcasts and can't believe I'm the only one who caught this. Keep up the great work. I love the professional and fun way you guys analyze these shows. So I had written back to her because I, I remembered that and a couple other lines that could indicate a deeper relationship. But I also pointed out the feeling that we were told they were coworkers. And it seemed like William was getting dragged along. And there's a scene later where William says, I thought we weren't going to talk about work. Mm-hmm. And Logan responds, what makes you think this isn't work? So True. my response to her was maybe they're both. Right. And somehow that's connected. Wait, maybe this is his bachelor party. Could be. Although, why would that be for work? No, well, I'm not going off of what you just said. But mm-hmm. I was thinking about what you said earlier when I said they were husband and wife. Yeah. But you said, no, he was saying, you're going to be... You're going to have to be prepared for this. So this could be, I mean, we know this guy is very close guarded. He Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like a fun guy. He probably doesn't have that many friends. So it's the soon-to-be brother-in-law taking him out on just a a hurrah. Which everybody's resistant to that, right? Yeah. So I think that makes more sense. Well, and I like her follow-up comment because I had thought this myself, that Logan could be a son of the higher up in Westworld Park. He's been there many times, according to his boast, so clearly he's got money, right? Uh, And she says initiating William, his newer, soon-to-be brother-in-law, would make a lot of sense. So I really like this combo theory. Oh, definitely. Perfect write-in. I'm I'm still piecing this together in my head. When he was with Clementine, he's like, I love someone else. Yeah. And, you know, like, this is supposed to be his bachelor party, but he's like, I'm not willing to do that. He's like, meatloaf. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. 
Yeah, April was definitely right. Congratulations. You nailed it with the brother-in-law thing. I'm also very curious to know what this business of theirs is that they need to be going to Westworld. So I think that's going to be a deeper level of why they're here in the park Mm -hmm. that could get very interesting. And I like the idea that he might be connected to a higher up. We also got an email from Judy talking about the episode where we remarked on the actress who plays Teresa Cullen and the accent seeming a little bit muddled. She says, actually, the actress is Danish and is best known for starring in the great Danish series Borgen, where she plays the prime minister of Denmark. Being European, her British accent is impeccable, and this might be the first time she has attempted an American accent. I'm sure she'll get better as this series continues. Now, remember we said the same thing on Mr. Robot when the character who plays Joanna... Yeah. The actress that plays Joanna first came on and we were like, there's something weird about this. And then when she spoke, we couldn't figure out what it was. And we found out later it was Danish. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, maybe the American accent it's is a lot tough to nail. We actually had a, a Twitter follower a couple weeks ago bring that up to us. I'm sorry. I'm, I uh, forgot the name. Sorry oh, about that. Oh, they called it first. Yeah, they did. We and they were talking to us. And she's she's actually from a different country, too. So she's saying that the dialect is a lot harder. Like English, because I brought up house. Right. And she was saying that uh, English to American is a lot easier than something like Danish to, to American. American. Yeah. Well, thank you both for that. And finally, we talked about our two new reviews. I'm going to just butcher this name that they used on there, Dartagba. His tag was another great podcast from the CKC. Any Lyrao? Elirao? Uh, said, this should be the standard of podcasting. I love that. I won't read you the whole review, but that was amazing. Thank you. Philly Bauer gave us a, a review on uh, Westworld Channel. He, he's also given us a review on Mr. Robot in the past. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. So we definitely thank you for, again, helping us out. And we have another one, Reach Ben Horton and the Gold Rush Gang for also sending us some love in their review on our Westworld channel. So thank you guys so much for giving us reviews. We need more. Like I said at the top of this episode, we have podcasts out there that we're competing with that have 128 reviews. So we need your help. (laughs) And finally, we're going to get into our slightly spoilery section, if you can even consider it that. I certainly don't, because it's only based on the tiniest bit of additional research that I did this week. And we're really guessing. It's total guessing. I am basically just taking the episode titles, which they have provided for four through nine. Number 10 is still to be announced. And I just did a quick Google search of what those could mean, pulled out the likely definitions, and that led me to some theories about it. But if you're nervous about any of that kind of stuff, we will leave you here and see you next time for our podcast where we discuss episode 104, Dissonance Theory. For those of you still here, we're going to quickly run through. I know this podcast is going long, but these are some very exciting possibilities. This search just started out with me looking at the episode 104 title Mm -hmm. and saying, well, I know about cognitive dissonance from psychology, but that's really exciting that it's next episode's title. I want to look up an official definition so we can talk about it. This is a theory that states there's a tendency for individuals to seek consistency amongst their cognitions. Cognitions being beliefs, opinions, 
And when there is an inconsistency between attitudes or behaviors, called a dissonance, something must change to eliminate it. So we're always looking for consistencies as individuals. And if we feel that what we're thinking isn't matching up to the behaviors or what we're seeing, we have to do something to make that right. Now, that could get really scary for the host that we see coming up with the dissonance. What are they going to do in an attempt to wipe out the thing that's causing the trouble for them? And if that is the programmers or the employees at Delos, what could that mean? Number five title is Contrapasso. This word comes from the Latin contra and patior. I never learned Latin, I'm sorry, but it means suffer the opposite. And it refers to the punishment of souls in Dante's Inferno. So you remember that story, of course. We all had to read it. Oh, boy. Where he goes through the different levels of hell Mm -hmm. and sees what happens there. Now he goes through this process, either resembling or contrasting with the sin itself. A similar process occurs in Purgatorio. Thus, whatever sin you committed here on earth, that's how you're being punished in hell. Right. If your sin was that you tortured somebody here, you will be tortured for all eternity there. Can you imagine? So suffer the opposite. Uh, Is this the creators, the employees, suffering what they have done to the host by having that turned on them? Ooh, that'd be trippy. And now they have to go through all those same things because we do see Hmm. the host here seeking revenge on the people that killed him. And only going after and killing them. So the pattern has already been established. But also at the same time, you can say that these hosts are already in that. Like Teddy is already suffering time and time again, being killed, being killed, being killed. Certainly, but not as a penitence for a sin he committed. Because that's part of this. Right, yeah. He Well, at least we don't think he ever did anything like that. But we do know that guests get their DNA like mm, they're allowed to hold on to their DNA their original ooh that's a good one their original life some sin they committed maybe wow that would be cool that's deep bro <laughs> yeah cool in a heavy way well following this somewhat spiritual theme in a dark way number six is titled the adversary and this is actually the original name for satan In many different religions, they called him the adversary. The adversary of God. Right. So, the man in black or Dr. Ford? Right. Does that make Dr. Ford God and the man in black? The adversary? Or Arnold? Or, you know, Hmm. some combination of the two. Or Um, Dolores could be the adversary. I mean, uh, the God. Uh, Never mind. Well, or it could be another planted adversary if Ford is trying to create a religion and storyline for his new narrative, perhaps he will be implanting his own. I hope we see Peter again. Oh, I already miss him. I hope that's not the end of him. No, he was great. Episode 7 is titled Trompe l'Oeil, or something like that. It translates to a visual illusion in art, especially used to trick the eye into perceiving a painted detail as a three-dimensional object. So something flat takes form. I think that could just be a metaphor for the host developing a more multidimensional existence or hmm. evolution. Number eight is trace decay. This is an explanation of forgetting in short-term memory 
that assumes that memories leave a trace in the brain. A trace is some form of physical and or chemical change in the nervous system. So trace decay theory states forgetting occurs as a result of the automatic decay or fading of the memory trace. So as you start to forget, you know, short-term memory is brief. Um, You're supposed to have a trace implanted in your brain, something that stays there. Filed away. Right, like a subconscious. Uh, But trace decay theory says that this automatically starts to fade or decay over time. Of course, yeah. What was that growing up in the library? That fucking, those tiny drawers with all... Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Yeah. So it's put into that godforsaken thing. Yeah, filing cabinet somewhere deep in the brain. And these people have that. And that goes back 30 plus years over multiple builds and all of these memories that are just traces waiting to be accessed. Yeah. You know, I used to, I hated it so much, I would ask the librarian, like, where is blah, 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 Harry Potter? Mm -hmm. This was before Harry Potter. And they just point, and then I'd rather just walk up and down the aisles and look for it. (laughs) Fuck that Dewey Decimal shit. Huh? That's a very interesting story, Jason. Thank <laughs> you for sharing. <laughs> anyway, going back to this, though, I think that this is more directly going to refer to the fragments of programming that Arnold left in them that we hear referenced here by Ford. So those trace memories of what he was trying to build with the consciousness coming back out. And I kind of think that's how Bernard is really being able to evolved Dolores Mm -hmm. and perhaps why the older hosts are evolving so much quicker and coming to this because they still have Arnold's original programming in them. Oh yeah. And that's why the man in black is after the older hosts specifically. You're right. Shebang. Okay. Finally, number nine is called the well-tempered clavier. This is actually a collection of two series by Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. They are preludes and fugues in all major and minor keys composed for solo keyboard. They're two different books, which result from two very different periods of Bach's life, and it's reflected in the character of how different they are. It belongs to a major musical achievement that came out of the Baroque age in Europe, and even until today, this is an intellectual challenge for musicians and listeners alike. It's a very deep, source of inspiration and people say he was unlike any other composer in musical history because he took these abstract and formal concepts such as fugues and put them together with this incredible sense of beauty variety and depth if you go online and listen to it I would have never thought I would be drawn to this type of music but it is absolutely beautiful and gorgeous I think some of that might be in their title sequence opening But I wonder how that's going to play into the episode. And that's what got me thinking if that player piano will indeed serve a bigger purpose later on. Because I can't really find any other explanation. I I think you might be right. And episode 10 is to be announced, which is very exciting. Game of Thrones has done that to us in the past. To be announced could mean that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to keep that big one from us. Maybe they're on to what we're doing here. In the meantime, I had fun with looking at that. If you have any other thoughts on upcoming episodes or what any of those titles could mean, we would love to hear them. We still also have our ongoing question that at some point this season we will talk about. If you went to Westworld, what would you do? How would you play the game? 
I'd really like to get to that soon. So we'll leave yeah. that open just a little while longer for listener feedback. Email us at contact at coffee clatch crew. That's clatch with a K dot com. So contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. We'd love to hear from you. Christina writes back to you and we discuss it on the podcast. Also, again, follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Let's keep this ball rolling. Let's make this empire bigger. And Jason also told you last time on our website, which is up and running and looking great, by the way, all thanks to him, there is a countdown clock to when our next episodes come out. I know quite often you're listening for your favorite podcast and saying, well, it's on different days and different times. When do we get the new episode? You will be able to follow us that way. We will try to keep as close to that as we possibly can. So when you're looking for next episode 104, you can find that on coffeeclatchcrew.com. We got bigger things coming to the website. We'll let you know as they occur. Uh, one little secret: hmm. movie podcast. No, oh, stop blowing up the spot. We don't know that for sure yet, <laughs> but true. it could be. Uh, the bigger we get, the more we can add to this podcasting experience. So spread this to your friends. Help us get some more downloads. If we can get big enough, we can bring you some new content. That's just one of many thoughts we have. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.